Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 56th installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. 133 presentations prepared by Pope John Paul II and delivered between the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. During our recent Wednesday meetings, see Theology of the Body 53, 4 through 55, we analyzed two passages, one from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, the other from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 25, to show what seems to be essential in St. Paul's teaching about purity, understood in the moral sense, that is, as a virtue. If in the text quoted from 1 Thessalonians, one can observe that purity consists in temperance, nevertheless, in this text, and also in 1 Corinthians, the aspect of reverence is emphasized as well. Through such reverence, which is owed to the human body, and we add that, according to 1 Corinthians, reverence is seen in relation to its component of modesty, purity as a Christian virtue is revealed in the Pauline letters as an effective way of detaching oneself from what is a fruit of the concupiscence of the flesh in the human heart. Abstaining from unchastity, which implies keeping the body with holiness and reverence, allows us to deduce that according to the Apostles' teaching, purity is an ability centered on the dignity of the body, that is, on the dignity of the person in relation to his or her own body, to the masculinity or femininity that shows itself in that body. Understood as ability, purity is precisely an expression and fruit of life according to the spirit in the full sense of the term, that is, as a new ability of the human being in whom the gift of the Holy Spirit bears fruit. These two dimensions of purity, the moral dimension or virtue, and the charismatic dimension or gift of the Holy Spirit are present and strictly connected in Paul's message. This connection is emphasized by the Apostle in 1 Corinthians, where he calls the body the temple, and thus dwelling place and sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, chapter 6, verse 19. Purity as a virtue and a gift. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you do not belong to yourselves? Paul asked the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, after having instructed them with much severity about the moral demands of purity, flee from prostitution. Any sin that a man commits is outside his body. But the one who gives himself to fornication sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. The particular mark of the sin stigmatized here by the apostle is that this sin, in contrast to all others, is against the body, while the other sins are outside the body. Thus, we find in Pauline terminology the reason for the expressions sins of the body or sins of the flesh. These are the antithesis of the virtue by the power of which man keeps his own body with holiness and reverence. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 5. Such sins bring with themselves the profaning of the body. They deprive the woman's or the man's body of the reverence that is due 
because of the dignity of the person. The apostle, however, goes further. According to him, a sin against the body is also a profaning of the temple. What is decisive for the dignity of the human body, in Paul's eyes, is not only the human spirit, thanks to which man is constituted as a personal subject, but much more so the supernatural reality of the indwelling and continuous presence of the Holy Spirit in man, in his soul and in his body, as a fruit of the redemption accomplished by Christ. It follows from this that man's body is no longer only his own, not only because it is the body of a person does it merit that reverence, the manifestation of which, in the reciprocal behavior of human beings, male and female, constitutes the virtue of purity. When the apostle writes, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He means to show a further source of the dignity of the body, namely, the Holy Spirit, who is also the source of the moral duty that derives from such dignity. What constitutes this source is the reality of redemption, which is also redemption of the body. For Paul, this mystery of faith is a living reality, directly oriented to every human being. Through redemption, every human being has received himself and his own body anew, as it were, from God. Christ inscribed in the human body, in the body of every man and of every woman, a new dignity, because he himself has taken up the human body together with the soul into union with the person of the Son Word. From this new dignity, through the redemption of the body, a new obligation was born at the same time, about which Paul writes in a concise but very moving way, You were brought at a great price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. The fruit of redemption is indeed the Holy Spirit who dwells in man and his body as in a temple. In this gift which makes every human being holy, the Christian receives himself anew as a gift from God. And this new twofold gift gives rise to an obligation. The apostle refers to this dimension of obligation when he writes to believers who are aware of the gift to convince them not to commit unchastity, not to sin against their own bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. The body is not for unchastity, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. It is difficult to express more concisely what the mystery of the Incarnation implies for every believer. For this reason, the fact that in Jesus Christ the human body became the body of the God-man has the effect of a new supernatural elevation in every human being, which every Christian must take into account in his behavior toward his own body and obviously also toward another's body, man toward woman and woman toward man. The redemption of the body brings with it the establishment in Christ and for Christ of a new measure of this holiness of the body. Paul appeals precisely to this holiness when he writes in 1 Thessalonians that one should keep one's own body with holiness and reverence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul explains the truth about the holiness of the body in more detail. 
when he stigmatizes unchastity with drastic words as a sin against the holiness of the body, as the sin of impurity. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said the two will be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord forms one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. If purity, according to Paul's teaching, is an aspect of life according to the Spirit, this is to say that what bears fruit in it is the mystery of the redemption of the body, as part of the mystery of Christ, begun in the Incarnation and already by the Incarnation addressed to every human being. This mystery bears fruit also in purity, understood as a particular commitment based on ethics. The fact that we were bought at a great price, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, the price of Christ's act of redemption makes precisely a new special commitment spring forth, namely the duty of keeping one's own body with holiness and reverence. The awareness of the redemption of the body is at work in the human will, in favor of abstaining from unchastity. In fact, it acts for the end of letting the person gain an appropriate ability or capacity called the virtue of purity. The words of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, show that Paul's teaching about the Christian virtue of purity as a realization of life according to the Spirit is particularly profound and has the power of the supernatural realism of faith. We will have to come back to this topic more than once. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 56th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. To better appreciate this 56th catechesis, it's good for us to remember where we are and where we're going. This is the first part of John Paul II's Magnum Opus, The Theology of the Body. The first part focuses on the words of Christ. The second part focuses on the sacrament of holy marriage. The first chapter of the first part focuses on Christ's appeal to the beginning. The words of Christ appealing to the beginning, responding to the question about a bill of divorce. And the Lord Jesus Christ reminds his interlocutors, those with whom he spoke then, and those whom he addresses today, you and I, that in the beginning there was an original unity. God had created them male and female, and the two were to become one flesh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, original innocence, original justice, original holiness, original unity. This is part of the Lord Jesus Christ's appeal to the beginning, reminding those who asked the question that it was because of the hardness of their hearts that Moses permitted the bill of divorce, the decree of divorce. The second chapter of the first part, the chapter we're in, which we heard in part today, Christ appeals to the human heart, not to the birds of the air, not to the fish of the sea, not to the beasts of the land, but to men and women, boys and girls, children of every age. His heart speaks to our hearts and he calls us to be pure of heart not to look with 
lust with a disordered desire upon the other, lest we commit adultery in our hearts. The sixth section of the second chapter addresses purity as life according to the Spirit, so not according to the works of the flesh, which is another way to say sin, but according to the Spirit, whose temple we are by grace and faith and baptism. Today we've heard about purity as a virtue and a gift. Purity as a virtue corresponds to the virtue of chastity opposite the the vice of lust, but purity as a gift of the Holy Spirit whose temple we are. It's a twofold gift. It's a gift of God to us, and it's our gift to God who calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth, in our bodies and in our souls, presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, united to the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross, whose heart was pierced for love of us and love of the Father. Briefly, that's an overview of where we are and where we have been. More specifically, in this 56th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, Pope John Paul addresses purity over and over and over again. He says to us, purity understood in the moral sense, that is, as a virtue. So it's not bodily purity, My hands are dirty. I've been working in the yard all day. I've got sweat running down my brow and down my back. That's a different sort of impurity, which the Holy Father does not treat in this. He's speaking about moral purity, the virtue of purity, the virtue of chastity. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Holy Father is anxious that we see God, not only in the hereafter, but even in the here and now. The way we look upon each other, is it according to God's way of looking at things, or is it according to base-most desire? The Holy Father continues his presentation on purity as a virtue and a gift by reminding us that purity consists in temperance. Remember, temperance is one of the cardinal virtues, whereas chastity, or purity here, is a moral virtue. Temperance, not too much, not too little, just enough. I always think of Goldilocks. This bed is too hard. This bed is too soft. This is just right. This porridge is too hot. This porridge is too cold. This porridge is just right. Virtue stands in the middle, in medio virtustatis. Purity consists in temperance. There should be a desire, the husband for his wife and the wife for her husband. But there are so many other hours in the day when the nuptial embrace is not to be engaged in. We have to work. We have to play. To make love is only a part of a married day. Pope John Paul II continues in this 56th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a theology of the body, by saying purity is precisely an expression and fruit of life according to the Spirit in the full sense of the term. Well, which term is he focusing our attention on? The purity term or the spirit term or the fruit term? There are multiple terms here, but I believe it's the spirit, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of purity, which is God's gift to us, first given in baptism and renewed in all the other sacraments, not only penance, but in confirmation. Purity is precisely an expression and fruit of Life according to the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are many. Chastity and self-control, two of them.
purity is expressed, purity is a fruit. Lust is another expression. It's an expression of rebellion against the plan of God for our lives. For it is contrary to our nature. It is more in keeping with our fallen state than with our redeemed state. Lust is more an answer yes to Satan and to sin, whereas purity and chastity are a yes to holiness and to God. Having said yes to God and his call to holiness in our lives, we bear the fruit of purity and the other virtues. But with God's grace, it is possible. Without his grace, it is possible also, but difficult. Pope John Paul II insists that purity is an ability, a virtue, centered on the dignity of the body. It is possible for us to be pure of heart. God does not ask what is impossible of us. Purity or chastity is a natural virtue. One does not need to be baptized or confirmed or communicated in order to keep the virtue of chastity, to flourish in this virtue. That we have been baptized, that we do believe in Christ our Lord, model of chastity, gives us supernatural motivation to be chaste, to be pure of heart, in that we know Mary to be the mother of God and the all-holy ever-virgin, gives us an incentive to be pure of heart, not to be lustful people, not to have disordered sexual desires or actions. But strictly speaking, chastity or purity, this is a natural virtue. The Holy Father, in his 56th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, says, The Christian virtue of purity, as a realization of life according to the Spirit, is particularly profound and has the power of the supernatural realism of the faith. So here he is recognizing the divine motivation and the divine assistance we have. When he says the Christian virtue of purity, it's not to say that there is not a natural virtue of purity. He's just taking it up a notch because of Christ our Lord, because of his blessed mother. And how many of the virgin martyr saints, Maria Goretti, Agatha, how many others? Our faith is real. These holy ones really corresponded to this virtue. And we can too, with God's help, with their intercession, with our converted desires, with God's grace. The Christian virtue of purity as a realization of life according to the Spirit, not according to the devil, not according to sin, not according to the father of lies or the prince of this age. It is particularly profound. There's a depth here. And the power of God is present because it is by the power of God that we recognize these things and do these things in love, glorifying God in our bodies, preserving them with holiness and reverence in ourselves and in our neighbors. The Holy Father reminds us that there is a moral duty regarding the virtue of purity. If this is how we are made, we are to live accordingly. If this is what Christ has called us to do, we are to live accordingly. We have a moral duty to live according to our nature, to be virtuous people. Not only the virtue of justice or prudence, which are cardinal virtues, but also the moral virtues of chastity or purity, as the Holy Father calls it here. Pope John Paul II reminds us that to be pure is an obligation brought about by the redemption of the body. We are obliged to keep ourselves pure of heart because Christ has called us to be pure, because Christ has purchased us at 
the cost of his very life's blood, Christ who himself is pure, all holy, all good, and he calls us to mirror him, in whose image we are made, by whose life's blood we have been redeemed. To be pure is an obligation brought about by the redemption of the body. There are some in our day, and they have been around for centuries, who will say, I have no obligations. Nobody can tell me what to do. Well, the good God has told us what to do. He has told us how to live. And woe to us when we disregard the call of God, the command of God. We are reminded in the first chapters of Genesis, to which Pope John Paul II appeals in the first chapter of the first part of the theology of the body, the fall of man, who disregarded the will of God, preferring rather his own will. That was the first Adam. But Christ our Lord is the new Adam, and he was obedient unto death, death on a cross. He recognized his obligation, and he fulfilled it. And we who worship him in spirit and truth, we are called to fulfill our obligations by his grace, to his glory and our salvation. To be pure is an obligation brought about by the redemption of the body. And the redemption of the body is realized in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, a mystery made present at once in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, which makes present the one only sacrifice of Calvary, even as we are fed with the fruit of the tree of the cross in the Holy Eucharist, the pure bread of life which comes down from heaven. Unless a man eat and drink of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he has no life within him. Jesus assures us this in chapter 6 of St. John's Gospel. Not only does the Lord teach us about the purity of his body and blood given us in the Eucharist, he also calls purity a Christian virtue. Pope John Paul II says, Purity as a Christian virtue detaches us from the fruit of the concupiscence of the flesh. The concupiscence of the flesh a tendency to sin with our body, not just gluttony or drunkardness, but sins of lust, sins against chastity. Chastity is a moral virtue, a natural virtue. We don't need grace or faith or revelation to do it, to be chaste, to be pure of heart. But because we are followers of the Lord Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, because we have been given grace in baptism, made temples of the Holy Spirit, we have a supernatural motivation to be pure of heart. And that's why our Holy Father identifies it as a Christian virtue. It's a natural virtue for the pagans, and for us who have been baptized, it is a Christian virtue. We act according to our nature. We act according to the supernature given us in baptism. We want to be detached from the fruit of the concupiscence of the flesh. We want to be attached to Christ, to his mystical body, Mother Church. We want to be united to the Holy Spirit by holiness of life. Pope John Paul II points out in this 56th Catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body, that St. Paul instructs severely in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, flee from prostitution. The one who gives himself to fornication sins against his own body. There's very little ambiguity here in these inspired words. 
St. Paul is building on the commandments of God. No hay deseos impuros, no hacer actos impuros, do not have impure desires, do not do impure acts. The Spanish is more beautiful and I think more faithful to the intention of God, not only not to covet our neighbor's wife. What about the husband? What about the children? We're not to covet any of them either, of course. Not to commit adultery. I'm not married, she's not married, so it's okay. No, that's fornication. So here, St. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Flee from prostitution. The one who gives himself to fornication sins against his own body. And we are not to sin with our spirits. We are not to sin with our bodies. We are to be holy, preserving ourselves in holiness and reverence. And not only ourselves, but preserving our neighbor in holiness and reverence. We find here in St. Paul's terminology, and everything asserted by the human author of sacred scripture is asserted by the primary author of sacred scripture, who is the Holy Spirit. We find in the Pauline terminology the reason for the expressions, sins of the body, sins of the flesh, sins against chastity, sins against modesty, sins against purity, prostitution, fornication, the like. These are things we should avoid, and God forbid we have committed them. We need to repent them, to call upon the grace and mercy of God in the here and now, that we need not face the terrible justice on the last day, when we breathe our last, or should the Lord come in glory to judge the living and the dead. We need to be ready. Pope John Paul II, in this 56th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them a Theology of the Body, reminds us, that there are two distinct reasons for the dignity of the human body, the mystery of redemption and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ our Lord, who became one like us in all things but sin to save us from our sin, he never sinned in his body and in his spirit. He died in the flesh a terrible death, a saving death, a sacrificial death to redeem us, body and soul. We have been bought in at the price of Christ's own blood. This, in part, is the mystery of redemption. It gives us a supernatural motivation, a supernatural reason to be pure of heart as the Lord has called us. The Lord has appealed to our hearts with his own sacred heart. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not have impure desires. Do not look with an impure desire upon another. The second of the two reasons which our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, points out is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he bases this on St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 19. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as the temple of the Holy God should be preserved in reverence and holiness not with sins of lust or unchastity or impurity. Purity is both a virtue and a gift. And as a virtue, it is something we acquire by our repeated virtuous acts. So an act reap a habit, so a habit reap a virtue. So a virtue reap a destiny, and our destiny is heaven if we are faithful to our nature, faithful to the God who has made us and who has redeemed us, and calls us to be holy. Purity is a gift in double fashion, a gift of the Holy Spirit to us, and in turn, our gift back to God, God who has called us to be pure of heart. We return to the Lord the gift which he asks of us, purity in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in our very being. We glorify God in our bodies, 
not only with our lips and our pious words, but with that Christian virtue which is purity. Pope John Paul II addresses all these things in his 56th Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. Let us ask his intercession from heaven, where he beholds the good God face to face. The good God who has said to him, Good and faithful servant, come share your master's joy. And now it is our turn to be faithful to the God who calls us to be the blessed pure of heart. And then we shall hear those beautiful words, Good and faithful servant, come share your master's joy. Until next time, God bless you.